As we continue to dive deep into this idea of sitting in suffering, today we hit on something that can make even the slightest suffering become unbearable. And that's when we feel unseen. If you've been following along, we've touched on this idea of feeling unseen before, most directly in the conversation with T during the healing season. When you feel unseen, it can pull you down hard. It can leave you feeling unknown, unwanted, untrusted, and as though you have to navigate the suffering solo. But as we learned in T's episode, there is a God who sees us. And this is what Soroya learned. As we talked, she shared her story of being homeless for two years. But as you listen, you'll find that this story goes way deeper than homelessness. And in the midst of the hardships Soroya navigated, feeling unseen was something that weaves its way throughout. Yet we also hear that when she felt seen by God, something powerful happened. If you're currently sitting in suffering and you feel unseen, I really believe that Soroya's story can encourage you. You're listening to episode 115 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I thank you that that is true no matter what the factors are right now and no matter what obstacles could be presenting themselves and no matter what space our heads are in, you can take this conversation into so many amazing and powerful spaces. So we want to give it to you. We want to give you our words and our thoughts. We pray that you would guide us and we pray above all that you would be glorified, not just in this time, but in wherever this goes from here. Let us pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Soroya, I'm excited to talk to you because you and I have already talked a couple times, yeah. but it was because I was on your podcast. Yeah. And so it's fun to be able to flip the script around and be able to hear from you. And I actually don't know a whole lot about you. So I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. But before we jump in, is there anything that you want guests to know about you before we start the conversation? Mm, well... First up, my name is Soroya. I want people to know that I am an advocate for mental health and mental illness awareness in the Christian community. I've been an advocate for that for about four years now. And it started because of my own personal journey dealing with a mental illness diagnosis. I am a singer. I am part of the worship team in my church. I love dogs. Well, I love animals because <laughs> I know you have a cat. Mm-hmm. It's not to be biased. I love all animals, but <laughs> I have more of a preference to dogs. I feel like I can get along with everybody. And I definitely know that I am an empath. I just have this thing where I'm able to just like connect to people's emotions. And I feel like I can get along with everybody and anybody. Is definitely shown up in moments where it's like I'll be talking to someone and I'll say something that's relating to what they're going through, like kind of like advice. And they're like, I don't know how you knew that I was going through that, but thank you because that's what I needed to hear. Mm. That happens kind of a lot. And I'm a native New Yorker. I'm from the Bronx originally, and I currently live in Brooklyn. Awesome. Thank you. You know, even in that, you've already touched on a piece of what I feel like we're going to jump into. 
I'm sitting in this season focused on suffering, Mm -hmm. which was not something that I had chosen, but I felt like God made very clear was the invitation. And it's really this idea of there are these spaces sometimes where things can get really hard and they just don't seem to get fixed. Mm -hmm. No matter how much we seek God, he doesn't take away the suffering. And so I feel like God is creating an opportunity to press into that. And you've mentioned mental health. But I also know there's been other things in your life where you've had seasons like this. And so you have many stories, and I think we should just jump in and see where God takes it. So, Soroya, tell me a story. Oh, where do I even begin? (laughs) (laughs) I'll start with the story of me being homeless for two years. It started off with a lot of family dysfunction I was living with an abusive brother and his girlfriend. His girlfriend wasn't abusive, but he was. I ended up leaving from there, then living with one of my aunts for a little bit. She technically wasn't supposed to have people living with her, but I was helping her out because I had income coming in. So I was helping her with groceries and stuff like that. She was more in the elderly age, so I was helping her in that way. And then I lost that job Mm. (laughs) because my depression got into such a dark place. And at the time, I didn't know it was depression I was dealing with. I didn't get the diagnosis of being depressed and having anxiety until 2016. Now realizing I've been dealing with symptoms of it since childhood. With me living with my aunt, there came a day where she had family coming in from out of town. And I believe it was for a wedding. And they were going to stay in a hotel, but she was trying to be a gracious host. It was like, no, you can stay here. Pretty much left me no choice. And she was like, you're going to have to leave. Mm. You're going to have to find somewhere to go. And I didn't have anywhere to go. So my only option was to enter the homeless shelter system. At the time, I want to say I was 20, turning 21 years old. So I was young. Mm -hmm. The shelter system, for those who ask of what it's like, it's not pretty. It's nothing pretty about it. And I can only imagine that the shelter system looks different in different states. In New York, what people imagine about New York or like the stuff they say about New York, like being unorganized, dirty, like a lot of crime, that relates a lot to the homeless shelter system. The first type of shelter I was in, because there's like different types of shelters that people probably aren't aware of. The first one that I was put into was a general intake shelter. They pretty much put you there and decide like what they want to do with you based on like your income, based on like your background, or if they want to put you somewhere where you may need medical attention. And at the time, I was able to find another job, thankfully. Mm-hmm. So I was only in the general intake shelter for about two weeks. And then I got transferred to a working people shelter, pretty much a shelter for people who have income. And there, they focus a lot on getting you housing vouchers pretty much a voucher that allows you to only pay like a small amount of rent. So say, for example, I see an apartment that I like that the total is like $1,500. And it also goes by how much I make. So like an example could be like $1,500. And based on my income, I could only be paying about 400, 300 for rent. Mm -hmm. And then the rest is taken care of. This was in like the beginning of 2016. Now, again, this is also the year that I was diagnosed with depression. So 2016 was a year for me. Like Mm. people have like a specific time in their life where it's just so much stuff happened. 2016 is that year for me. I entered the shelter for working people. 
ended up losing that job. And I was also diagnosed with cancer for the first time. A lot of self-harm behavior started coming back to me from stuff that I used to do when I was younger. Mutilation, anorexia came back very strong. Those combined with chemotherapy that I was getting for the cancer is just not a good combination. So I lost a whole bunch of weight. And of course, people are thinking that I was like, oh my God, like, what is your workout routine? Mm. Like, what did you do? Like, you lost so much weight. No one knew. Only the people that I wanted to know knew that I was going through that. But then everyone else just assumed that I said, oh, like I've been working out. And I'm like, if you only knew, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you only knew, it just got to the point where I was just inside. Like I barely left my bed, barely left my room, barely ate. I just didn't want to do anything. And the people at the shelter, they took notice. So it was one day they called me down for a meeting. I'm thinking it's just a meeting with like the caseworker I had at the time. All of them are there in like a square rectangle table. I'm thinking I'm in trouble. Mm. I'm thinking I'm about to get kicked out because it's literally every single caseworker that is there. Then the head person that kind of owns the shelter is there. And she starts asking me questions about like how I got into the shelter system. Like, do I have family? And then she had brought up my mother because they knew that my mother had passed away. Of course, like anytime I do talk about my mother, like I got emotional and I started crying. My mother had passed away in 2014. And so then she asked me, do you know what depression is? And I'm like, no, I don't know what that is. And she said, well, a lot of how you've been acting lines up with what depression is. You don't eat. You're sleeping a lot. You seem just to have no energy. You seem either sad or very just like lethargic or apathetic a lot of the times. And then she asked me, do I think I may have depression? I said, well, if the shoe fits, then I guess, (laughs) I guess so. Then I guess I have depression. There was one day where I went to the library. Going to the library was like the only time I got to have some type of peace of mind for myself because I do enjoy reading. So I would go to the library that was a few blocks down and I would read a few books. And then there was one day when I was going back to the shelter from the library, the thought just came to my head, jump in the middle of traffic. Hmm. I physically paused, like I physically stopped walking in that moment. And the thought just kept repeating itself, jump in traffic, jump in traffic, jump in traffic. So I did. I almost got hit by a car, but by the grace of God, a man had like scooped me up Mm -hmm. like just in time and ran me to the other side of the street to everyone else. Like they asked me if I was okay to them. It looked like I fainted and I was like, oh, I'm fine. I just need to get home. I probably just need to like drink water or something. I'm of course not going to say out loud that I was like, no, that was on purpose. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do that. I'm not going to say that. When I got home later that night, I just did a lot of thinking to myself because from that point, because this was November 2016 when that happened, the last time I had did anything like that was when I was a teenager. So like 2012, 2013. So it had been a few years. And so I really got to thinking and I'm like, okay, there's definitely something wrong with me that this is happening. Hmm. So I willingly, voluntarily put myself into the local hospital that had a psych ward in it. And I stayed there for two weeks. And then I got the official diagnosis that I had depression and anxiety. 
They started me on medication and I am going through all of this homeless. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going through all this. I have no type of roof over my head. I have a curfew of 10 p.m. 10 p.m. that I had to get back by or else I'm going to lose my bed. So then fast forward to the beginning of 2018, I get transferred to another general intake shelter. When I look back on it now, I guess because I didn't have a job anymore. So they put me in a general intake shelter. And then a caseworker, she comes up to me and asks me if I'm interested in moving into a shelter that helps women with mental health issues. And I said, yes, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that would be better for me. So she did like a little interview with me to see like what diagnosis I have and everything, what type of help I would need. So in August of that year, I got moved into the shelter for mental health. And it was an all-woman shelter. The only man or men that was there was the psychiatrist that was on site and one of the security guards, but everyone else was female. I stayed there for a few months. And I will say out of the shelters that I lived in, it was the nicest shelter that I lived in. Mm. And that says a lot (laughs) when it comes to shelters in New York City. It says a lot. The caseworker that I worked with, I still talk to her to this day. She's like my good friend. And she treated me like her daughter because she literally had children that were my age. One day I got a letter in the mail saying that I need to attend a support and meeting in regards to like me being eligible for housing. And it's like, it's mandatory. I have to be there. So I'm like, okay, I have to go to this meeting because I don't want to risk anything because it's like, I would like to have my own housing at this point. Mm -hmm. So me and my caseworker go to this meeting. I'm assuming it's going to be like a one-on-one type meeting, but I see other people there with their caseworkers and is in like this huge board meeting room. And I'm like, okay. This is interesting. So we all sit down and then they hand us these like large manila envelopes. And there's some type of packet inside, but I didn't open it yet. And then three people walk in and they start this like slideshow. And the first slide says, congratulations. And I see congratulations. And I'm so, I'm just confused. And then the main person starts talking and it says, that if you are here at this meeting today, congratulations, you've been accepted for section eight. And at that moment, I start freaking out. I'm like, what? (laughs) What? Me and my caseworker literally looked at each other with the same shocked face. We're like, what? How? Because at this point, Section 8 allegedly was supposed to be like closed, shut down. No new applicants. Nobody can sign up for Section 8 anymore. For me to be able to be eligible for Section 8, I was confused because I didn't think that I would be eligible for Section 8. So then we got back to the shelter and my caseworker did research of like, how was I eligible for Section 8? It turns out because I was in the foster care system as a kid, because I am adopted, that was one of the main ways that I was eligible. That and because I was young and in the foster care system. And so I was like, oh, okay. So... As of March of 2019, I have been living in my own place here in Brooklyn. Mm. So yeah, that is my two years of being homeless story. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing one. Two, there's so much packed into that story that you had to navigate through. Mm. I mean, starting off, you mentioned later, but starts with having been in the foster care system, having navigated being adopted, having navigated being in an environment with someone who is abusive, and then you get into the homelessness, but let's throw in cancer into it. Let's throw depression into it. Yeah. And so 
My first question that comes to my mind, there's a few things that have been in my mind, but the first is, tell me about who God was in the midst of this. Who was God to you before all of this? Who is he in the midst? Mm, That's a good question. I would say who God was for me before any of that happened, because I will say that I was just starting to get like a real strong relationship with God. Mm. I looked to him as my friend, my confidant, my father, someone that kept me safe and secure and that I didn't have to worry about anything because he's God and there's like nothing to worry about when it comes to him. Then in the midst of all of that happening, (laughs) I started asking a lot of questions and I became unsure of a lot of things. I was just like, God, I know I said I was going to follow you and listen to you no matter what, but I don't know what you're doing. And what you're doing is making me question you about a lot of things because you said you love me. But I don't think you put people through stuff like this that you love. Mm. So it was a lot of insecurity in what God said he was going to do versus what I was actually seeing. Mm. And it took the moment of someone from my former church, a church that I used to go to during that time, one of like the elders, they were willing to have me live with them. And they trusted that I was like someone of good character, someone that I could live with because they knew me from the church and things of that nature. At the tip of my tongue, the yes was about to come out. And then I hear the Holy Spirit say, no. I got taken aback. In my head, I'm having this conversation with the Holy Spirit Mm. as a lady standing in front of me. And I'm just like, what? And the Holy Spirit is like, no, you can't live with her. I was just shocked. And so I told the lady, give me three days to pray on it and I will let you know my decision. And she's like, okay. So for three days, (laughs) I am doing nothing else, literally nothing else, but praying and asking God. I'm not even begging God for like, for him to say yes. I'm like genuinely just asking God, like, why are you saying no? What is the reason behind this? No, I went to the book of Psalm for comfort. It's usually a book that I try to stay away from because people kind of always like gravitate to Psalms to like stay safe, be comfortable. But in that period of time, I was just really drawn to the book of Psalms and seeing how David went through a lot. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of questions that he asked God and a lot of those questions he probably didn't get answers for. So on the third day of me asking God, why did you say no? He told me, I am trying to teach you to be dependent on me. The reason I am putting you through this is so that you can lean on me Mm. and not on anyone else. I am teaching you how to be responsible and I'm teaching you that you need no one else but me. And I said, okay, (laughs) all right. He pulled a Job moment on me. And then he's like, wasn't I the one that told you that I was going to be there for you no matter what? Like, wasn't I the one that told you that this wasn't going to be easy? And I'm like, yes, Lord. Yes, you did. Mm -hmm. I was just like, okay, I had to accept the fact that I was going to be in that situation for longer than I wanted to. It took a lot of rebuilding my trust in God and also rebuilding my understanding of who God is. Hmm. 
Because mm-hmm. God says who he is and is very clear of who he is. Like he says it himself. You read it in the Bible, there is clear evidence of who he is. And so it was up to me at that point to kind of just change my way of thinking, like literally renewing my mind into who I really thought God was. Mm -hmm. You know, you said something really interesting there that put all the other things that I had in my mind on pause because you said you had to rebuild your trust. And then I had a thought from that. And then you touched on it because you said, God says who he is. When we say we have to rebuild our trust in someone, 90% of the time, it's because they lost our trust Mm. because they did something that demonstrated that they were untrustworthy at the moment. And now we're going to have to do some rebuilding. But what you touched on and what scripture says is that God's trustworthy. And so us rebuilding our trust isn't because God dropped the ball or God made a mistake. It's something within us that, like you said, it's a renewing of our mind. Man, there's just so much I really appreciate about your story because it pushes us into the spaces that we don't want to go sometimes. Because a lot of us start at the place where you said you started with God. You were deepening in your relationship. You wanted to seek him. You wanted to follow him. And then the bottom dropped out and you're like, God, I want to follow you. But (laughs) what, what in the world? I love that you brought up David because when these things happen to us, The natural human thinking can be what you start off saying is, well, if God loved me, he wouldn't allow bad things to happen. And that could be the natural response of others. You mentioned Job. That's what his friends and his wife basically said to him is, look, all this awful stuff's happening to you. Just curse God and die. Mm. Just write him off. You mentioned David and I looked up a passage that I've come to so often in my life, Psalm 42. And specifically Psalm 42, 5, where it says, Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. But before that, verse 3 is pretty hefty. It says, My tears have been my food day and night, Mm. while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Mm. And so it's this idea that really does exist, that has existed as long as scripture existed, that Well, surely if God is God and God is good, he's not going to let things happen. Therefore, because these bad things are happening, where's your God? What's wrong with you or what's wrong with him? And so I love that you got to this point where you heard God speaking to you. And then as you pressed into that, like it wasn't he gave you the answer right then and there. It was almost like an invitation, like a whisper, like, all right, let me step towards this. And as you step towards it, you begin to gain this wisdom of, okay, this is why God didn't fix everything. This is why God didn't take all this stuff away. God is inviting me to know what it actually means to seek and trust him. Man, it, the hardest part in all of this is in that moment, you heard the Holy Spirit speaking, but you told another story of hearing another voice in your head saying, jump into traffic. Mm-hmm. And I think this is our challenge We constantly have these voices (laughs) going on in our minds, whether it's God speaking to us or our own mind or the voices that others have spoken just reverberating, right? So how have you learned to discern between those voices, your own voices, the voices of lies and the actual, the voice of God? Mm, I love that question. It's not easy. Even up until this point in my life, it still isn't easy. but 
the one thing that I always keep in mind when it's like discerning, I believe there's always three voices that go through people's heads is the voice of God, the voice of the enemy and the voice of ourselves. The voice of myself is someone who is very insecure, very confused. I ask a lot of questions. I'm a very inquisitive person. I question a lot of things, which sometimes that could be a good thing, but then that could also be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. The voice of the enemy. I mean, the enemy is the enemy. The enemy targets different people in very specific ways. Mm -hmm. And I believe he does that because he sees like specific gifts, talents, and the calling that we have on each of our lives. So for me, the one big calling, well, part of that calling is me telling my testimony, me telling my story. And so the main way that the enemy would try to get to me is to shut me up. Mm. There's been a lot of times, like the amount of times in my life that I have caught laryngitis, where I've completely lost my voice, mm-hmm. got infections in my tonsils, has been bad. And then the voice of the enemy sounds like, you don't matter. No one's going to care. You're like the only person that has gone through this. No one's going to understand you. All lies. But then the voice of God, it's comforting. It's reassuring. It connects to scripture all the time. Now, the voice of the enemy can do that too, because the enemy knows scripture like God knows scripture. But the enemy twists scripture to their own advantage, Mm -hmm. like the way that he did when he was trying to tempt Jesus, that he's trying to tell him, oh, turn these rocks into bread. Oh, you can call angels down to catch you before you fall. But Jesus knew better. He used the word against the devil who tried to use the word against him. Mm -hmm. And so that's also a big thing, a big tool is using the word of God to our advantage in that way. I think people underestimate how powerful of a tool the word of God is because the word of God literally tells you who God is. I forget which verse this is, but it said love is patient, love is kind. God is literally love. So anytime I read that verse, I replace the word love with God and it's telling me exactly the character that God is. And so when I try to hone in on the voice of God, I look for those characteristics in the voice. Hmm. That's good. That's good. What's beautiful is the reality that God does speak to us, that God spoke to you in a space where your own mind was questioning if God exists. The enemy was telling you that you don't deserve to hear God's voice. In this space, God was still there. And it's particularly important because sometimes these seasons of suffering can be very lonely. I mean, you could be surrounded with people. You were living in shelters with lots of people. People were beginning to know your story that, you know, caseworkers had to learn your story in order to work with you. But you had so many moments where you weren't actually seen fully. The two moments that come to mind first is when you were undergoing chemo and you lost a lot of weight. And what other people saw was, oh, wow, she looks great. What's her workout routine? What's going on here? Yeah. They could not understand what was actually going on in your life with cancer and homelessness and depression and trauma. You are not in a position to, one, even understand it to be able to share it. But two, were the spaces even available to like sit down and say, let me tell you my story, right? And then the second was when you jumped into traffic and everyone looked at you and just assumed you had fainted. 
And again, you couldn't explain to them what actually happened. You didn't want to explain to them what actually happened. We're like, yeah. And so sometimes in these seasons of suffering, we're perpetually in this place where we are unseen. And in the hardest moments, that can become a suffering in and of itself. I'm so alone. I'm so forgotten. I'm so unwanted. And yet, meanwhile, God is with us. Even in the moments where we're saying, where are you, God? God is with us. And so this is a theme that I've heard come up in stories like these. This is a theme in my own story of feeling like I was in a pit, is the moment when I was able to recognize that God was with me. You know, there's that classic story of the footprints in the stand. Mm -hmm. And the person looked and saw one set of footprints and they're like, ah, where were you, Jesus? You were supposed to be walking with me. And Jesus said, well, that was the moment that I carried you, right? Like we can assume that we are alone and not even recognize that Jesus is carrying us. <laughs> you share the story of the point where God really revealed that he was with you. Once you realize that God was with you, that he hadn't abandoned you, when you look back, can you recognize other points that you didn't notice at the time, but now when you look back, you could say, oh, God was with me in that moment. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's countless, <laughs> countless moments. Oh, which one to share? That's the real question, which one to share? I actually, I fought cancer not once, but three times. Mm. I will say in the third time that I had it, I've been in remission officially since June 1st of last year. Mm. At that point, I was just like, you know what? This must be my time. <laughs> and my mental health did decline a lot. I've been in phases with my mental health. Yeah. I was ready to go at that point. My mindset at the time was just like, I already had the feeling of being hopeless. I already have the feeling of wanting to go. So my mindset at the time was like, God, if you don't take my life with this, mm. then I'm going to end up doing it on my own. Either way, I'm going to go. That was my mindset at the time. And I know a lot of people are thinking that. I was like, oh my God, how can you think like that? And it's like, if you have never been in cycles of trauma, like back to back to back to back, it's like something is always happening. You're going to get to a point where you give up. Mm -hmm. And I know there's people out there probably listening to this that have either been in the same shoes that I've been in, or they're going through something completely different, but they know that feeling. So that was my mindset at the time. Looking back now, I see that God carried me because he carried me in a way through community. That is when I really started to appreciate the importance of community, having people around you. It took him speaking through my niece. Cancer runs through my family. My grandmother had cancer. My brother currently is dealing with it. And then me and my niece actually had the same type of cancer, leukemia. Mm. And so it was one day I was hanging out with my sister and her kids. And my niece comes up to me. She had to be like eight years old at this point. She comes up to me and she's like, auntie, are you sick again? She just has this look of just like worry in her face. I wanted to cry in that moment because I'm a sap for my nieces and nephews. I love them like if they were my own kids. So I looked at her and I was like, yes, baby, auntie is sick again. And then she said, well, this is a good thing that you're sick. And I'm like, <laughs> little girl, what do you mean? And she said, well, 
sick things always get healed. Mm. And I'm like, say that again. And she said, sick things always get healed. And she said, because I was sick and I got healed. Grandma was sick. And even though she died, she feels better now because she's in heaven. Mm. And my brother, her uncle, who was in remission at the time, she said that he was sick and he got better. He's not all the way better, but he's better. And so she's like, you're sick now, so you're going to get better eventually. Sick things get healed. In that moment, I was like, can you, can you just give me a minute? Because I didn't want her to see me cry. <laughs> and I just burst into tears. And I was just like, wow, okay. In that moment, I still didn't get the full kind of level of faith from that, of being like, I'm going to get better from this. But just the faith in knowing that no matter what happens, that God is with me. That if I get healed, God is with me. If mm -hmm. I don't get healed, God is with me. Mm -hmm. That was definitely a moment through my niece speaking to me and just having the community that I had at the time with my family and my close friends of just realizing that it's like, even if I didn't have the faith to believe it, they had the faith for me. I believe that's so important to find a group of people, even if it's like two people. It doesn't have to be a whole mob of people. It could be two or three people because we're two or three are gathered. Jesus is in the mess. Mm -hmm. It could be two or three people. People who have such a firm belief in like the wonder working power of God, like whether you get healed or not, that they believe that God can still work in something that is powerful. Yeah, there's a previous guest, I think it was Genesis and Mars Kemp, that shared how much she loves the passage about the friends bringing their friend to Jesus and climbing yeah. up on the roof. And the scripture talks about it being like it was their faith that like, this person couldn't get up there by themselves. It was their faith, their belief in what Jesus could do that actually brought about the healing. And I think you're right. Community is a big piece of this. We often isolate ourselves. The enemy tells us to isolate ourselves, tries to make us isolate ourselves, makes us feel like we don't deserve interaction and love, but we were designed for community. So navigating suffering, finding healing, community is an integral piece of it. But sometimes it's not we have to find the community or we have to make the community. Sometimes we have to just trust God to bring out that community because in that moment, you weren't looking for it, but God met you right there through those little words, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you've been through so much. And what I also love about what you just shared is that we have this mentality sometimes that, okay, sure, we don't understand things and then we're in a hard situation and that's what makes it harder is that we don't understand it. But then we learn who God is and we learn how to trust God and our minds tell us, therefore... We should never, ever worry again, never doubt again, never question again, never get to the point like you described where your third time going through chemo was after all the story we heard before, mm -hmm. after times where you had come to a deeper understanding of God, and yet you still had this thought of, all right, God, you either do it or I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. People can struggle with that. Because our mentality, our humanity, our human logic tells us that we got to always be getting better and stronger and smarter, that we can never relapse into doubt and questions and concerns. But that's just not scripturally true. I mean, you brought up David in the Psalms. David was a man after God's own heart. David had so many moments of seeing God at work when he was chosen by Samuel to eventually be king, when he went up against Goliath. You know, so many moments where God had revealed himself, where David knew for a fact that God was God and God is good. And yet 
he could then go and write Psalms like Psalm 42 and others Mm -hmm. where he's like, where are you, God? All I have to eat and drink is my tears. I feel mortally wounded, you know, or Elijah who had seen God work and then he's being chased away by the queen and he gets to a point where he's like, God, just, just take me. (laughs) I can't do this anymore. Right. There's an invitation there that the goal here isn't perfection. It's to acknowledge that in our humanity, as much as we think we know and understand, as much as we do understand in a moment, we are still in these human bodies with these human minds and we're going to stumble. But God never stumbles. God is always trustworthy. God is always present. God is always speaking. And the invitation is in those moments, can we be like Psalm 42 Where in verse five, after all that, it says, why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? But I will still put my trust in God. Mm -hmm. Even though nobody believes God is real around me, even though I'm wondering how God can be loving, I will put my trust in him. As we close out, I'm thinking of people who may be in similar situations that you've been in. People who have wrestled with being in foster care, people who have wrestled with homelessness, people who have wrestled with cancer people who are in the midst of any of these things. That's a broad group. So at this moment in your heart, imagining that there's someone listening that could be encouraged by the comfort that God's given you, what would you like to say to that person? It's not over until God says it's over. And that you are not alone. And that, I forget the name of the song, but it was a very popular song from Elevation Worship and Carrie Job and her husband. And they were literally quoting scripture, like, may his favor be upon you for a thousand generations for your family and their children and their children. I believe for people who go through any type of strong situation where it just feels like the way of the world is on them, that they feel like they could never have favor. They feel like the hand of God can like never move upon their life. And it's like, I'm here to tell you that it's like, yes, he can. And yes, he will. Mm. Everyone has a calling. Everyone has a purpose. Your purpose doesn't have to match mine or another person's purpose for God to move in your life. There's no such thing as like, oh, one purpose being greater than the other. Like, no, God can move. And it may not be in the way that you want him to move. I've definitely dealt with that where it's like, I wanted him to move in a certain way, but then he did something else. And I was like, oh, okay. Because he did what I needed, not what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So I say to anyone who has gone through anything similar to what I've been through to not give up, to not give up and to hold on. Even if like what you have left is the size of the mustard seed or even smaller than that, like just hold on to it Mm -hmm. because God can definitely do a lot with it. That's really good. I'm really grateful for everything you've shared. And particularly before we started, I shared with you that I didn't even know how this recording was going to work because I got a three-year-old in the next room. I've got construction happening next to me. There are so many obstacles. (laughs) So the fact that here we are at the end of the conversation for me is evidence that God wanted this conversation to happen. Two questions before we go. One, if anyone wanted to connect with you or your podcast, what is the best way for them to do that? Yes. So my podcast is Kintsugi Talks. That is K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I Talks. It is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, hopefully more platforms in the future. 
I also made a YouTube channel for that podcast. The name of that channel is Kintsugi Talks Podcast. Kintsugi Talks Pod on Instagram. If you want to follow my personal Instagram, it is Soroya underscore the underscore vessel. Yeah. Yeah, that's where people can find me. That's good. And then my last question is, before we go, is there anything else in your heart that you want to share? Mm, For people to not put filters on their blessing. Mm. I don't know where this is coming from. This is just coming to me. I don't know. Because a lot of conversations that I've had with people recently, with a lot of my friends who are Christian and not Christian, we like to put a lot of filters on things. Like when it comes to the type of significant other we want, the type of job we want, type of future income we want, the car we want, the blessing that we want. It's funny because it's like we're telling God how we want to be blessed when God has already had it set in stone of how he's going to bless us. It's like we're telling God what to do. I recently got kind of like that revelation from myself that it's like, oh, Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'll say for the main example with like people trying to find their significant other, there's people who have the preference for like race, height, age, income, stuff like that. And it's like, that may be what you want, but then is it what you need? That's the important thing. Like in your head, it sounds like a good plan, but our plan compared to God's plan is stupid. Mm Because we don't think like how God thinks. We can never think like how God thinks. Yeah, to not try to put a filter on what God has already ordained for your life or whatever blessing that he has coming your way. Something interesting happened when I searched for a verse to close out this episode. What I wanted to find was a verse that talked about how God sees us. And my search highlighted a specific psalm, Psalm 34. Now, this ended up not having the verse that I was looking for, but it stood out to me because this came up this past Sunday when one of my church's elders, Sharika Chu, who some of you may recognize from a previous episode talking about the in-between spaces, shared a sermon that tapped into this passage. Now, Psalm 34 is interesting. On the surface, it sounds like an encouraging psalm. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I mean, it sounds encouraging, right? What's hilarious is that this comes from a season in David's life when he was sitting in suffering. David was on the run. King Saul wanted to kill him. And at one point, David found himself before another king, Abimelech. And in order to keep himself alive, David felt like he needed to pretend like he was insane. And if you read that passage, he went to great lengths to portray himself as insane. David was in the midst of suffering. And these are the words that he's saying. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And if we go to verse 15, we find the verse that my search was referencing. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. 
What's wild about this psalm is that it doesn't come at the end of his suffering. It doesn't come when everything was fixed. It came when he was in the midst, while he was still sitting in suffering. And somehow, in the midst of the hardship, he was able to recognize that God could see him, that God was at work, that God would bring restoration. Now, in the midst, David had no idea what any of that would actually look like. And he had to choose to believe it even as nothing was fixed, even as he was still fleeing for his life. What an incredibly confusing place to sit. And yet this is what we're invited to. When we talk about this idea of sitting and suffering and trusting God in the midst, we are invited like David to move towards this belief, to hold tight to it, even as things are still going south. Soroya's journey started with her desiring to grow closer to God and feeling like she was actually deepening her relationship. And in the midst, she found herself frightened and homeless and abandoned and wrestling cancer and hearing voices telling her to jump into the street and end it all. Yet in the midst, God saw her. In the midst, God heard her. In her loneliest moments, she was never alone. God never abandoned her. And now we have just heard how God has worked through her difficult season of suffering. What Soroya has come to know is that God does see her and does love her. And that even when things are hard, even when she has a second and a third bout with cancer, that truth has become firmer and firmer in her mind and heart. She is seen and you are seen as well. No matter how daunting your situation, the same God who saw Soroya the same God who saw David, he sees you as well. He knows you. He hears you. And for some reason, he has decided not to eliminate the suffering that you are in now. But it isn't because you are unseen or unheard or forgotten. God is actually after abundantly more for you than you could ask for or imagine. So verses like 17 that say the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them, he delivers them from all their troubles. Those can be hard to stomach when we haven't been delivered from our troubles. But we have to hold to verses like 18 in the midst. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Because here's the thing, in all of these wonderful things that David is saying, it still speaks to people who are in trouble, who are brokenhearted, who are crushed in spirit. The deliverance hasn't yet happened, but it will. Psalm 34 is full of promises of God doing this, but it begins with us actually believing that he sees us. So I want to encourage you that you are seen, you are known. And if it's hard to believe that, then I invite you to pray a simple prayer. God, let me know that you see me, because I believe that the God who sees you will let you know in one way or another. So pray that prayer, open your eyes, and ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. 
And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of their music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?